You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. This segment is made possible by an educational grant from Shire Pharmaceuticals. Welcome to updates from the Mayo Clinic, focusing on primary care pediatrics and child mental health. Here's your host, Dr. Peter S. Jensen, a childhood and adolescent psychiatrist and professor of psychiatry at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Hello, this is Dr. Peter Jensen, child and adolescent psychiatrist and professor of psychiatry at the Mayo Clinic. Welcome to our Mayo Clinic update series on child mental health in primary care. Today we have with us a special guest, uh, that is namely myself. And we're going to focus on a topic that I've heard a lot about from primary care doctors across the country uh, that I've been involved with in teaching over the last six or seven years as we have been teaching primary care physicians and other primary care providers on the delivery of mental health services in primary care. And this is, if you will, one of the biggest problems that uh, mental health providers face in primary care, children who are bullied. Not just children who are bullied, but children who are sometimes bullies. And in fact, what we know is that this is one of the big underrecognized problems. Uh, it happens a lot. Bullying is quite frequent. And in fact, it's underrecognized. And many parents who have children who are either experiencing this or actually are bullies themselves are not identified and are not getting help. The number one question is, now, wait a sec, Peter. Isn't this just a part of growing up? I mean, bullying happens to all of us, and we all got through it, right? Well, not exactly so. In fact, what we know is that bullying, yes, many of us experience it. Uh, many of us witnessed it. Maybe even some of us were a little bit the bullies back in those earlier years. But just like an infection, a bad bug that might spread in our water system, we now know that bullying actually has toxic effects on children. And what are those toxic effects? Well, children who are bullied are more likely to have troubles at school with school performance. They're more likely to have thoughts about suicide. They're more likely to later go on to develop substance use problems, anxiety problems, uh, and depression. So, in fact, here's a preventable problem that is pretty ubiquitous, but in fact is linked to long-term bad outcomes in kids. So people ask me, what is bullying? I mean, how do you separate the bullying from every little playground squabble? Well, in fact, playground squabbles are not bullying. In fact, so the definition of bullying, as we've now had two decades of research on bullying, bullying's now defined as a repeated instance of one individual who has greater power or status. It could be physical size, could be popularity, could be any of those things where they have greater status or power over another, repeatedly uh, physically intimidate, doesn't necessarily mean hit, but it could be threaten, or ridicule or humiliate another child. So it has to be repeated. It has to be associated with a sense of threat and danger for the child. And it's a part of a pattern of one individual on another. And so that's how we actually separate the normal squabbles that happen on the playground, that happen to every child, 
from what becomes a persistent pattern where that child now who's being bullied maybe doesn't want to go to school, uh, begins to avoid that one individual, uh, begins to have nightmares, often uh, has difficulties liking school or declining school grades that the parents may be unaware of. So a real problem. But just how common uh, is bullying and what are its effects? Well, another great question from my primary care friends. We've talked a bit about its effects, but, but how common is it? And in fact, what we know is that the physical bullying, the name-calling, the systematic berating and intimidation of one child on another gradually falls among boys and girls as a general rule from elementary school, first grades, where it's the highest, seems to dip down across uh, both genders. But then we see some odd things happening. With the rise now of social media, we see that cyberbullying, as we call it, by Facebook or saying bad things uh, about another child to humiliate, embarrass, that's actually rises greatly as children have access to social media, the, to the internet, they have a smartphone, or they have some kind of computer access. And so while we drop from rates of 10 to 30% in the earliest years, down to 5 to 10% by high school for the more physical face-to-face -face encounters, we see at the same time parallel rises in the cyberbullying that begins around sixth grade uh, increasing through high school. Cyberbullying appears to be actually somewhat more common in girls. Girls perhaps being more social creatures, uh, talking among themselves. So we know that when aggression does occur between boys and girls, boys tend to be more physical, more directly confrontative. Girls tend to use aggression against another child in more sneaky, if you will, kind of behind the scenes kinds of forms that indeed still can have a, a devastating impact on, uh, on a child. So what are people doing about it? Another common question. And can anything be done about it? Well, in fact, programs have now been developed. In, and in the state of Pennsylvania, people have put school-wide bullying prevention and reduction efforts into place. And so we do see huge variations from school to school in levels of bullying and uh, sometimes two to three-fold differences. So it's not just something that happens in every school environment to the same extent. And so there are real differences in how schools are managed and run. And when schools are given one of these new intervention programs, they, in fact, we see often a cutting in half, um, sometimes more, of levels of bullying. How does this happen? Well, it's not, unfortunately, a quick, easy fix. So people have tried a lot of things like zero tolerance, just say no, expelling or suspending a child who is a perpetrator. But in fact, these efforts are not very effective over time, and another child kind of quickly kind of rises to fill the place uh, of the, the bully that may have been extruded from the school environment. In fact, what schools have to do is begin to think about a program that in the same way that they focus on the three R's, that they take bullying very seriously. So some of the common elements of effective programs that have been implemented are first understanding the level of bullying that affects each child. 
One of my colleagues has developed a very novel program where actually students write an essay of how bullying or other forms of violence have affected them. And so they say, this is what's happened to me. This is what I've seen. This is what I've witnessed. And across the entire state of Texas now, that program's now been put into place where students, as a part of their curriculum, write an essay about how bullying or other forms of aggression have touched their lives. The principals get to review these essays, and they're part of the school curriculum, so a child's getting credit for having done an essay. But in fact, then they're reviewed and used by administrators to say, whoa, we've got five kids who've told us they were locked in a locker that we didn't even get reported. That's pretty important. And so there's an instance for the readers who are interested, by the way, that's called Do the Right Thing. Do the Right, W-R-I-T-E, thing, uh, because children end up writing an essay. And you can find out about those programs on the web at D-T-W-T, Do the Right Thing, dot O-R-G, for those that are interested. This is Dr. Peter Jensen, and we're discussing today bullying and aggression in children and what primary care providers can do about it. And I am my own guest today, and so I'm doing the interviewing and asking the questions. But the questions have come from you, our listeners, and other primary care colleagues that I have worked with and continue to work with in learning about how we best meet your needs in providing better mental health services for the children that you see in your primary care settings. One of the other programs has been, was actually originally developed in Scandinavia. Uh, over 20 years ago, uh, and it's called the Olveus Anti-Bullying Program. So implemented now in, in uh, across entire countries in many parts of Europe, the Olveus Program begins by understanding, by a survey, it doesn't use an essay form, begins with a survey of every student understanding kind of the levels of bullying and aggression that they see, the extent to which they participate, are an onlooker or a bystander or a victim. And kids can take any one of those three roles. Uh, those results across an entire school are summarized and then shared with a team that begins to form, convened usually by the principal. So it's got top level support with a representative from each grade, perhaps a vice principal also reflecting the overall academic environment. but people like the school janitor or a bus driver or a cook might also serve on this uh, school-wide, twice-monthly uh, bullying prevention committee that begins to really understand, identify, and determine how often bullying happens and where does it happen. What that school-wide committee then is coached to do, as this program is put into place, as I mentioned earlier, in the state of Pennsylvania, they then review instances of bullying and then come up with a very practical plan to think about what might the school have done to prevent this. Maybe we need better monitor if it's happening in the halls between classes. Maybe we're going to need to make sure there's someone uh, better on site uh, to provide supervision, or it might be on the playground, for example. Uh, so they begin to understand where bullying happens, what are the circumstances for it, and what might the school do. In addition, when these programs are first mounted, each school comes up with a set of principles or rules that are related to physical aggression, about that bullying is not okay. When kids are taught about the various roles that, that kids play 
Yes, if you're a bystander, in a way, you're participating. You're just going on and then not doing anything about it. You've become part of the problem rather than part of the solution. Or a kid might, of course, be a victim or a, um, or a bully, uh, him or herself. So kids are taught about the roles. A school-wide meeting is held with all children to begin to really set this new culture and climate. Uh, in preparation even for that, there's a meeting training of all of the school staff to make sure that people are all on board, understand the causes of bullying, uh, the importance of monitoring, the importance of not just taking punitive approaches, but more problem-solving approaches and understanding that this is not something you can handle by putting in metal detectors or expelling a child. And you have to really begin to create a new culture, a new climate that's accepted by everybody from the janitor to the cook to every principal and teacher uh, and administrator, as well as is appreciated by the kids. What do the kids have to do? Well, kids are actually taught as a part of those programs that it's not tattling. And if they see bullying, part of their job to be a good citizen is to bring it to an adult's attention. And so a child who might be in bold may not want to bring it to the teacher. Uh, they may bring it to their parent. As a part of that program, parents are taught this needs to be fed back into uh, the school staff the principal, and this anti-bullying prevention committee. So each instance can be problem-solved. It's not a good idea to have the bully and the victim talk it out, have them meet face-to-face. -face. Generally speaking, that might not work at all and actually make things worse. To what extent is this a national problem? Well, you know, I've been involved in a study where we took epidemiologic data from parents all across the country and we asked them to identify the kinds of problems their children had both been exposed to or had actually participated in. And I was shocked to find that the number one problem that parents most ignore is when their child is actually an, an aggressor. Uh, when a child has become a bully, uh, does get into systematic fights or uh, intimidation of other children, and most parents don't think of that as something they would need to bring to their doctor's attention. When in fact, bullies have not such great long-term outcomes. So how about that group of kids who either bully or who are victims or those that were first bullied and then become bully victims? So they move on, they figure out, you know, uh, better not to be a victim. I'm going to become a bully and uh, divert the attention to the, uh, from themselves. Well, we know that the victims alone do have subsequent risks for depression, anxiety, substance use, uh, school problems. But in fact, the bullies have somewhat worse uh, uh, outcomes, going on to greater problems with delinquency, aggression, but guess who has the worst outcomes of all? It's the one-third of kids who actually first were bullied and become anxious and nervous and worried and frightened. And then they turn a very interesting corner. And they decide, if you will, uh, to become aggressors. And then they actually have the greatest problems with later substance use, criminality, difficulties holding a job. And so here's something we can identify 
it can be identified in every school and every classroom and in every primary care doctor's office if we ask the right questions. We can do something about, and yet it's one of the most under-recognized, overlooked, and sadly ignored problems we have going on in our children. This is Dr. Peter Jensen. You've been listening to the Mayo Clinic series update on mental health for primary care providers. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist at the Mayo Clinic. Tune in more to Reach MD, where you can download our other podcasts, www.reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to updates from the Mayo Clinic. And thank you to Shire Pharmaceuticals, whose educational grant makes this program possible. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show and many others, or to download this segment, go to reachmd.com forward slash Mayo Clinic.